All right, everybody, grab a seat. Take your Bibles, whether they're on your phone, on your tablet, in paper, whatever it is, and turn to Acts chapter 9. The Acts of the Apostles chapter 9. I'm Dave Householder and blessed to be your Bible teacher on this Super Bowl Sunday and Groundhog's Day all at once. It, uh, Palindrome Sunday, that's right. The first time in 900 years that 0222, uh, whatever, fits together, which is really kind of cool. So it is great to be in the house of the Lord, and I am very excited about this message. There's a song that says, the preacher preaching when the well is dry, and uh, first of all, I love the, the idea of the well, and my well is never dry. I, I could preach all week if people just keep showing up, so I'm pretty excited about this passage. I love the Bible, love the Word, love to share it, and we are in a sermon series on dreams and visions in the Bible. And we sometimes think dreams and visions don't mean anything, but I had a bunch of them last night that did. I had a dream last night where I was told by a voice in the dream to make sure I paid attention to communion at the end of the service. And I'm going to tell you how that's going to work. It just all came together in my dream, and it was very, very cool. And the reason we're talking about visions now is because the whole palindrome Sunday thing, we're not just looking at a new year. We're looking at a new decade. And we often overestimate what we can do in one year. And we underestimate what we can do in 10. You can do a lot in 10 years. You can go from nothing to a PhD. You can go from nothing to having a company with four or five, maybe 15 employees in 10 years. You can learn a whole new skill. You could learn to play guitar, learn a foreign language, piano, whatever. I mean, 10 years, one year, probably not. Probably not. 10 years? Yeah. And I am facing the big 6-0 coming up in November. And, and as someone facing the big 6-0, I need to tell you that it's easy to lose a decade if you're not intentional. And you younger people are looking at me like, how could you lose a decade? I can't even lose a week. Well, believe me, you can lose a decade really easily. Really easily. Thank you. Tim reminds me it's just a number. But we can use those numbers, the Bible says, teach us to number our days. Pay attention. Be intentional. We're talking about the power of intentionality. And we're talking about the dreams and visions of the Bible. Because I want every one of you to have the very best decade of your life. I want you to have the physically strongest decade, the financially most abundant decade, the relationally more most close decade, your relationships, your friendships, your sense of vocation. At the end of the decade, I want you to be able to say, I used the time well. I did what God made me do. You receive it right now, Tim. All those things. But for that to happen, we have to be intentional, and we have to stick close to the Word and to the Holy Spirit and pay attention to our dreams and visions. So today, we are going to talk about emotional scars. Emotional scars can keep us from living our best life. If you cut yourself, you will get a scar. I have a big scar on my knee from when I was nine years old, riding my Stingray, my Stingray bike, and learning how to do a wheelie. 
and I was wheeling back and forth in the street behind our house. And I started getting pretty good at it. I thought, I could just go faster while I'm on this back wheel. And I was going really fast. I went down, ripped a part out of my knee. And nowadays, I probably would have gotten stitches or whatever. But back then, ah, that's them. Kids were different when I was growing up. I had one swimming lesson. My dad threw me in the deep end. That was it. You know, now he'd go to jail for that. But, you know, it's... it worked, you know, just like a puppy. I came to the top and swam to the ladder, and that's all the swimming lesson I ever needed. So things were different, but the truth is, I've got a whole bunch of scar tissue on my knee from that. And when someone has hurt you, you can build up an emotional scar. Now, I want you to think of a continuum. You don't want to be thin-skinned where everything offends you. Who knows thin-skinned people in your extended family? Everybody's got at least one. You say anything. They just, Wendy's, from Holland, where, Wendy's from Holland. She grew up in Asia, and they have a great phrase in Asia for people who are very easily offended. They have long toes. It's easy to step on their toes. You know, it's just, it's just, now you're going to use that the rest of your life. You know, Aunt Mildred has long toes, you know, and people look at you like, what does that mean? But anyways. One end of the continuum, you're just easily offended. Middle of the continuum, you're strong and you have a thick skin. That's a good thing. And the far end, you're like a turtle. And you've just become so hard that you don't feel anything anymore. And you just disappear into your shell whenever there's any trouble. Do you see where we have to find balance there? You don't want to be thin-skinned, but you don't want to be a turtle either. And if you've been traumatized by someone, there's a very good chance that you've been tempted to go turtle. And everyone over 40 in this room has been tempted to go turtle at some point. And just sit in there and just, you know, protect yourself with a hard shell. The problem with the scar is it heals and protects the wound, but it also can keep us emotionally from having good relationships with people. Very often, people who've been abused have a hard time forming long-term relationships because you could easily go a little bit too much turtle. We want to have hard, hard skin on our feet, tough feet, and tender hearts, not tough hearts and tender feet. Do you understand the difference? We want to be tough enough to be able to handle the world And yet we want to have soft hearts. One of the best things if we're raising kids is we want our kids to be strong. Because the world is challenging. There's lots of competition out there. We want our kids to be tough. That's why my dad threw me in the deep end. Not because he hated me. He wanted me to learn to swim quick. He didn't want to spend money on swimming lessons. Just throw him in the deep end. There we go. And it worked. Emotional scars. And you can tell you have emotional scars. If you get flashbacks of people doing bad things to you, flashbacks of people saying things to you. Now, there's two levels of flashbacks. One level is strangers doing terrible things to you. And the other level is people that you're in a strong relationship with that betray you. A stranger can't betray you. Who here has not been flipped off on the freeways of Southern California. Everybody's been flipped off. But it doesn't bother you because what? 
You don't know this person. Who cares? We've all been flipped off. One of you got flipped off in the parking lot here, but we won't talk about that. It wasn't our church. Wasn't but if it's a stranger, it's no big deal. But if someone you're close to you ghosts you, unfriends you, unfollows you, doesn't answer your phone calls, is that more or less painful? Way more. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. You can't be, he was one of the inside circle people. You can't be betrayed by a stranger. Think about that. You can only be betrayed by someone close to you. And when someone close to you betrays you, and if it hasn't happened, it will. People say, well, I don't believe in God. I just, I just trust my relationships and my family. I'm thinking, ooh, you are in for it. Because when family turns on you, it's one of the worst things. And it can be fixed and it can be healed, but I'm saying that you can't get through this life without somebody taking a slash at you. In the workplace, in your extended family, at school, in sports, in band, wherever it was. It can happen. Jessica, you're a, a musician. You've got three great musicians in here. But if you get a bad review or somebody writes something bad about your music, you take it very personally because it's something you wrote. So, flashbacks. Plus, you need to have enemies. Having enemies is a good thing. Who thinks Jesus had enemies? Who thinks we're supposed to be like Jesus? If you have no enemies, you need to get out and have a life. You're probably just home too much. You know, The Bible says in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Does God get rid of the enemies? Not usually, but he prepares a table for you. If you have no enemies at all, you're probably standing up for nothing and taking the lowest common denominator path through life in a turtle shell. And we need to stand up for certain things. When people stand up for things, when Rosa Parks gets in the back of the bus and changes our whole society, she was standing up for something. Who here wouldn't be proud of your kids if they did something like that? They stood for something really important. And when you stand for something really important, guess what? The knives will come out. People say, I've done a lot of youth work, and I still miss being a youth pastor. But nine out of ten of the youth that I worked with who wanted me to write a college recommendation for them said that they wanted to be leaders. And I'm thinking, you really want to be a leader? The farther up you go, the closer you get to 50% of the people hating you. Seriously. The farther up you go, the more people will hate you. You know, we, we look back at these, oh, Teddy Roosevelt must have been loved. He was hated by the press. They were vicious with him. We look at these things with these you know, rose-colored glasses, but it's tough. So the problem is we have emotional scars, we have flashbacks, we have enemies, and all of those things, and that's a part of life. There's one promise in the Bible nobody likes. Jessica's up here saying, we have to stand on God's promises, and we do. It's a beautiful prayer, by the way. I can see where Tamara didn't want to pray after that. <clears throat> There's one promise we don't like. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Not might, but life is hard. And it's full of challenges. 
and to enjoy those challenges and to get tougher and to learn how to overcome them is one of the big keys in life. So here's the problem. Most everyone here has had a bad relationship with someone of the opposite sex. I had two really challenging girlfriends before I met Wendy. And I was thinking, I don't ever want to date again. Because they're just, women are just weird. I was convinced. You, two in a row, you think that's it. But then you paint the whole half of the population. Who thinks women do this too? If they've had a bad relationship, it's like, well, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to get in a relationship again because they just, I've just got to protect myself. Or if you had very authoritarian parents or you went to a strict Catholic school where they wrapped your knuckles, chances of you having trouble with authority in life is pretty strong. You'll have trouble with all authority figures if you had trouble with the original authority figures. Do you see how it's easy to take one experience and universalize it? And then we go into the turtle shell, don't we? I'm not going to talk to women anymore. I'm not going to talk to men anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay any attention to authority. The scar is the turtle shell. And what happens is when we let ourselves get hurt and we don't get healed, let me say that again. We're going to get hurt. But if we let ourselves get hurt and we don't let God heal us, then it will distort our self-image. If you've been hurt lots of times, you'll start to think, people hate me. People don't like me. If I put myself out there, they'll hurt me. And we start to think there must be something wrong with me because these people keep coming after me. Who wants to encourage you thinking that? The devil loves to whisper in your ear. If more people knew what you were like, nobody would like you. That's never the Holy Spirit, by the way. That's always the enemy, the accuser. And the accuser wants us to live in the turtle shell. The accuser wants us to start with a thin skin, get offended, and then end up in the turtle shell the rest of our lives, because then he's got us out of commission. And he won't bother you anymore. People think, you know, once I get really on fire for the Lord, then the enemies will disappear. Well, who here has had a big spiritual experience, and the next week you ended up on enemy radar? That night, boom. As they say in Africa, the big bird flies into the arrow. You end up on enemy radar. When, you, when you're, Folks, if you're just living in a shell, the, the devil will never bother you. And that's the deal he makes with you. Sit in the shell, and I'll never bother you again. And in you go. So it distorts our self-image. And we talked about the first message. And please listen to all these messages. They're on our website to get the whole thrust of it here. The first sermon was on self-image. The most important, this is why it's really scary as our culture becomes less Christianized and less spiritual. Because what starts to disappear? The idea that everyone is made in the image of God. Even if you're not born again, if you believe that, it helps a lot. Because then you don't kill, you don't murder, you don't steal. Because everyone deserves dignity. And our whole culture is built on that. And if we stop, if we throw out everything spiritual, which our culture is fast trying to do, which is what I'll be talking about on Wednesday night, which I hope you come back and we'll talk about that. How do we Christians relate to this? 
we need to cling to the idea that we are made in the image of God. And not just us, our enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies because they're made in my image too. And I died for them too. They may not know it yet. But they might just be born again and you might just be wrong about them. I've been wrong about people lots of times. So today in the Bible, we're going to look at a double vision. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be cool if you had a dream and you were telling someone in the break room at your business about the dream last night, and she says, I had that dream too, and you were in it. This is what happens in Acts 9. Paul and Ananias have a joint dream, or a dream that overlaps. So it's a double vision. And a double vision is really cool. We do this on the trustees team every time we meet. We get together, and we ask the Lord to speak to us. And we all get visions and words from God. It is so, you might think, are you guys some kind of spiritual superpower? No. God's got more talk than we've got to listen. All we have to do is listen. And God talks to us. And we find those places where the visions and the words overlap. And they always do. This ask, seek, and knock thing we've got on the wall back there is what he told us to work on this year. And he told us to do dreams and visions in the Bible for your first sermon series. And that was an overlap. And God is always trying to show us stuff. This is why we need to pray with people, because we need to understand where our dreams overlap. Because that's a double vision. That's a confirmation. Wouldn't that be a confirmation for you if you showed up in the break room and you told your dream and that person told you everything about the dream? And they were in it too? Same kind of thing. That's confirmation. So we're looking at a double vision here. <clears throat> Acts 9.10, if you open your Bibles to that. There was a certain disciple at Damascus in Syria named Ananias. And him said the Lord in a vision. Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. So Ananias is getting a vision. What I'd like to invite you to do is just be open to visions and dreams. Opening up, this is old camera talk. Half of you don't even realize there was a thing called a camera. You just think of it as a phone, you know, but we had cameras. We really did. Susanna has a really cool camera. She takes great pictures, but it's a real camera. And there's something called the aperture. And the aperture is really cool looking. You can open it up wide when it's dark. And you close it down when it's sunshine to let the same amount of light in. What we need to do is open up our spiritual aperture to receive visions. To be able to hear from God. So it's not a matter of attaining a vision. It's a matter of being receptive. Repeat after me. Receptivity is the key to biblical spirituality, both Jewish and Christian, Old Testament, New Testament, it's all free. It's a matter of whether we receive it. Receptivity is everything. It's everything in the Bible. It's not the spiritual superstars that went out in the Bible. It's those who were receptive. And God is choosing who here? Ananias, because he is receptive. He's got a job for him. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street called Straight. And inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. 
For behold, he's praying. Now, let me help you with this because you're going to run into some name problems. Paul had two names. Paul always had two names. I've heard so many sermons where it was God who turned Saul into Paul. God never turned Saul into Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. Saul in Hebrew is Shaul. And even after he was a believer, when he went into the synagogue, he would say, I am Shaul. Because that's his Hebrew name. Paulos is Greek for shorty. Paulos means shorty. It's, it's his nickname for business. He would hand out his cards, you need a tent, call Shorty. You know, it's not like God turned Shaul into Shorty. You know, it, it, he was, when he wrote his letters, he would write to Greek-speaking people, and he would say, I'm Paulos, I'm Shorty. Shorty writing a letter. So it's not like, oh, he was Saul before he became Paul. No, he was Shaul his whole life as a Jew. And if you know Jewish people, I mean, Rosalie, you know, grew up among Jewish people. A lot of Jewish people have two names. They've got a name in Israel and a name here. Reuben ben Yonatan, one of my best friends in Washington. He was Robert Palmer in his passport. Not the Robert Palmer with music, but the, and the weird, sexy ladies dancing. Not that guy, but the... But <coughs> a lot of Jewish people have two names. Robert Palmer, Reuben ben Yonatan. And when he was around people who could be anti-Semitic, he was Robert Palmer. Which is really pretty smart if you're Jewish, considering what they went through. So Paul had two names. So Paul is praying. <coughs> and seeing in a vision a man named Ananias come whoops, back to verse eleven here. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire of the house of Jesus, one called Saul, for he's praying. And Paul has seen in a vision, here's the double vision, a man named Ananias. Now, if God is talking to Ananias and God is talking to Paul. Shaul, and he's telling Ananias that Paul's seeing a dream with a guy named Ananias. Who thinks Paul's going to be impressed when he meets Ananias? And he's had a dream too, to connect with Paul. Okay. Putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Paul had just had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Boom, he was blinded. And he had a collision with God. That's my deepest prayer that you and I would continue to have collisions with God. And they're not even all that comfortable sometimes. Sometimes when we have a collision with God, it's uncomfortable. And for Paul, it was very uncomfortable. So, was Ananias happy about that? And Ananias answered, Lord, uh, I'm not going to do this. Which is always a dangerous thing to say to the Lord. <clears throat> Lord, I've heard of this by many of this man, how evil he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. What horrible things he's done. And in a few verses before this, Paul was sent out by the folks in the temple. He wasn't a Christian yet. He just got converted. And the Bible says he was hoping to kill people. And he had letters to do it. He was the original 007, licensed to kill. Here he comes. Literally, license to kill and hoping to kill. And Ananias is saying, uh, God, um, could this be a different Saul? 
you're talking about. Are you sure it's the one we're talking about? Because this person has inflicted scars on our community. This person, I hate this person, you say. This person has hurt us. And this person intends to hurt us more. This person is an enemy. And our community has scars because of this guy. So, not going to do it. And he has the authority of the chief priest to bind and call anybody who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, go your way. For he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. Go do it because he's going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. Most of you, except for Rosalie, except for Heather, he's got some Jewish blood. Wendy's got a little Jewish blood on both sides. The rest of us are mostly Gentiles. Without Paul, we wouldn't be here. He was the one who brought the gospel across to the non-Jewish people. And so, let's in Ananias in on the secret. <clears throat> for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, the community has scars. A collision with God shifts his thinking. And I believe that for a lot of us, when we've got enemies, people have hurt us, we need a collision with God that will shift our thinking. Because we can't shift it on our own. We need to have God shift it. We're going to have communion here. Just a couple minutes. And communion is meant to be an encounter with God. That's why we call it communion. We commune with God. And he says, this is my body, this is my blood, which means he is present. Do we understand how he's present? People fight over this theological. I'm thinking, why don't we just look at the Bible and say, let's expect to meet Jesus. Who knows who Jack Hayford is? He's probably my generation. Some of you younger people don't know who he is. Jack Hayford, I was sitting under his teaching lots of times. And he said, a church on the way, his big church in the valley that he's a pastor of, more people have had their faith come alive at communion at Church on the Way. We've got more testimonies for that than we do for all the altar calls we've ever done. Because God intends us to connect with him at communion. And here's the kicker. Jesus says, this cup is for the forgiveness of sins. And I've always thought that means forgiving my sins. What if it means forgiving the people who hurt you too? And if you take from that cup, you're saying... I'm going to let you, Lord, change the way I think about this person. Does that person have to be your best friend? No. Do you have to go remarry your ex? No. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about letting it go and forgiving the person. And at communion, this cup is for the forgiveness of sins, not just, he doesn't say your sins. Sins. Who thinks sins include other people? Us forgiving other people, too. And it's an opportunity to do that. And you're going to have an opportunity to go up there. And the cool thing about this church is we let everyone take communion. Jack Hayford said, who's ever been to a wedding where they say you can't take communion unless you go to our church? That happens. Jack Hayford said, why not let non-believers take communion? Jesus will run into them. And who knows what might happen? So expect to meet the Lord today in communion. And expect, have the name of that person you're not forgiving. And expect that cup to do something. I'm not talking about you forgiving the person. I'm talking let God shift you. 
Let him change the way you think. Maybe we'll have three people take communion today, but and everyone sits in the chairs. I'm not going up there. Who knows what Jesus might do? But still, go up there and see what happens. Removing emotional scars. <coughs> Let's read this out loud together. Number one. One, two, three. Forgiveness is the scalpel that removes emotional scar. A good plastic surgeon can get rid of a scar with a scalpel. They can. They can do it. And forgiveness is the most powerful weapon you have. And it can change you and your relationship with those people. And it can shift the way we think about a lot of things. Number two. As a pastor, I hear this all the time. There are Christians who have a perverse and morbid enjoyment of nursing their wounds. What they did to me. Over and over and over again. And the truth is, it is pleasurable. It is pleasurable to talk bad about people who did bad things to you because it puts you above them. It's a way of egoizing. And every Thanksgiving dinner and every Christmas dinner, you'll have somebody telling you the story about somebody who messed them over 20 years ago. And you and I are tempted to do that too, aren't we? Nursing our wounds is pleasurable. It's pleasurable like bad whiskey is pleasurable. It's not good for you. It's, you know, it's bad stuff. We're drinking the poison hoping the other person dies. And we have to let go of nursing those wounds. Who here loves to hear the story for the 17th time of the person who told you about how somebody messed them over? Go to a divorce recovery group. It happens all the time. Oh, that person. Over and over and over. That becomes the narrative of their lives. To let those things go. And we have to admit that sometimes we do this. Folks, I admit that sometimes I do this. Who's going to admit that occasionally you find pleasure in telling the story about how somebody messed you over? Those people at the railroad, the, at the radio station who fired me, they did this, this, and this. I've told that a million times. Number three. Forgive yourself. You make mistakes. Mistakes don't define you. You are not your mistakes. Learn to let yourself off the hook for things you've done. The enemy wants you to drag that to your grave. You know what God says? As far as east is from the west, so I've separated my sins. He he makes all things new. The enemy says, ooh, somehow that's going to show up on the video in heaven. And boy, are you going to be embarrassed. The enemy wants to accuse us, but God wants to wipe it clean and start over. Forgive yourself and others. I ran into this on that great spiritual journal called Instagram. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. If you keep letting it hurt you, you're not free. Freedom is, go ahead and take a picture of it. It's pretty cool. You'll sound philosophical when you talk to people. You can sign it on someone's yearbook, you know, whatever. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. True freedom means you've let it go. And you're not letting it define you. You're not letting it tell you what to be. So, 
how can we inoculate ourselves against future hurts? Number one, be too big to be threatened. Have an appropriate self-image, and your self-image should be, I am made in the image of God, and I have infinite worth because he made me. I am the craftsman. I, I am the masterpiece of the craftsman. And God never engineers junk, and he never engineers failure. We are built to succeed. We're made to succeed. And we need to keep telling the enemy. The enemy's going to say, hey, you're not worth much. But the truth is, the people with the longest toes that are easily, most easily offended have the lowest self-esteem and the lowest self-image. Really true. If your self-image is, I'm made in the image of God, and I'm here to on a mission from God, your self-image is going to be strong. And the stronger you are, the more you can fight off the bad stuff. So get that self-image where it belongs. He that is within me is greater than he who is in the world. If you've got Jesus living in your heart, you don't have to worry about the enemy. Number two, take responsibility. <clears throat> Usually when we're offended by things, we're hurt by things, we're blaming other people. We need to take responsibility for our own lives. There is great power in taking responsibility. In fact, the more responsibility you take, the farther you will go in life. Because people give authority to people who take responsibility. You want to get, go farther in your company? Take more responsibility. You want to go farther in the military? Volunteer for something hard. Do something more than what's being asked of you. And next thing you know, you get promoted. That's how life works. Taking responsibility is the pathway to power. Linda was up here wanting people to move into leadership and volunteering here. Oh, but then you'd have to take responsibility. But guess what? With that responsibility comes authority. The church and the military for hundreds of years have been the two fastest ways to rise socially. Why? Because you can volunteer for anything and go right up to the top. It's true. Sure beat school or you got to get good grades. Anyways, take responsibility. Blaming others creates weakness. And the third one, <clears throat> relaxed skin and a relaxed soul heals faster. We need to take a Sabbath. We need to slow down. And my wife is reminding me of this. I've been sick with this since before December. I'm getting a lot better. But you know what? It's my own fault. I'm taking responsibility for it. Burning the candle at both ends. Constantly. Not relaxing and resting. If you don't relax and rest, you don't heal. I keep praying for healing. God's saying, it's not my problem. You need to get your act together. He says, you're, you know, never mind. I go on and on about that. He and I have had some interesting conversations. Master plastic surgeons are really good at getting the skin to relax. And there's almost no scar showing. And same with us. We need to take ourselves a little less seriously sometimes. And lastly, this is a cool one. This came up in the men's group. If you haven't been to the men's group yet, and you're a guy, show up tomorrow, 6.30. Great insights in that group. 
Who here has heard the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery? Wasn't it neat how he forgave her? He didn't forgive her. Neither do I condemn you. He pre-inoculated himself against offense by going through life with a non-condemnatory attitude. If you go through life expecting people to be bad and horrible and awful and to jump on them for it, then you have to forgive them. But if you go through life with a non-condemning attitude, loving everybody, doing the whole Will Rogers thing, never met him, met a man I didn't like, choosing to give people the benefit of the doubt that you meet, and anyone in sales knows this, always trust the person you're meeting to do a sales thing with until they prove otherwise. Give them the benefit of the doubt. You go through life with a non-condemning attitude, rather than people are no good and they're going to get me, you'll go farther in life. And people will like you better. And they'll connect you. And Jesus went through life with a non-condemning attitude. He didn't forgive the woman who had been caught in adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Didn't have to forgive her because he didn't condemn her in the first place. If you go through life with an attitude of grace towards other people, grace orientation. Who here is old enough to remember Pastor Paul from grace? Pastor Paul went through life with a massive grace orientation. And he got burned a couple times because of it. But he always gave people the benefit of the doubt. Somebody does something terrible, oh, they're probably just having a bad day. But he didn't have to forgive many people because he didn't go through life condemning them in the first place. You can't. No, I go on and on about this. This goes on. It just, you know what? I don't want to start preaching, even though I am. She said, no, man, Lord. Nobody condemns me. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin. No. Visions are right now moments, and taking communion is a right now moment. I invite you to go up for communion expecting Jesus to be present and expecting that cup of forgiveness to do something that maybe you can't do in your own power. And maybe you come out of that encounter a little different, seeing the world a little different. It all depends on how wide your aperture is when you go back. How wide is your aperture? How open are you to receiving what God has to give you? Invite the worship team back up. I found this verse in Isaiah. It's the last one we're going to look at here. Let's read this out loud together. One, two, three. That coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. Who wants to be one of the people receiving the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper? That's what this message is all about. A non-condemning attitude. Using forgiveness to let things go. Being honest with ourselves. Taking responsibility. But most of all, letting an encounter with Jesus change us from the inside with those things we can't change on our own. Let's all stand up and pray. Lord, we're going to sing a song here and then we're going to expect your son to show up in a powerful way and 
And Lord, I just pray that we would put on our minds right now that person. Ananias had Paul. He had this person he just did not want to let off the hook. But you changed him. You changed him. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the name of that one person or group of people that hurt us the most, that betrayed us, people who are close to us, people who promised things didn't come through. As we look at that cup and dip the bread into the cup, Lord, we expect you to do something in our souls that will change us. We give you thanks, Lord, for these incredible stories in the Bible. We give you thanks for the visions you gave Ananias and Paul, this double vision. I give you thanks for the vision you gave me last night of communion, reminding me that this cup is for the forgiveness of all sins, not just ours. And so, Lord, we pray that we plant the seed of Jesus in our minds, Lord, that we could, over time, become less condemnatory of other people. We take responsibility for our own lives, and we raise our self-image to be that of your image. Lord, when we see you, our Father, we're going to see the family resistance, the family resemblance, the family resemblance, uh, And, Lord, we're going to see your eyes and our eyes and our face and your face, and we're going to see that we're made in your image. Help us to live like that now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.